Hey everybody, welcome to episode 39 of the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. My guest today is Santine Phoenix, who has provided me with one of the most honest and raw interviews I've ever conducted. And saying that, this interview is a very intense interview that deals with adult topics, adult material, and adult conversations, as well as some heavy things that really focus in on topics that are meant for a mature audience. So if you are offended by these types of discussions and these types of materials. I'm just giving you a fair warning that this might not be the podcast for you. For those of you who want to continue to listen, I appreciate you staying with me and I hope you enjoy this podcast and we're going to dive right into this interview. So now it's been about 10 months since our last interview and a bunch of stuff has changed. (laughs) So you have your second book of new Praktorians is coming out on March 25th. How are you first introduced to the art world? My grandmother gave me some watercolors when I was like two. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then I picked them up, and I've been drawn ever since. <laughs> Pretty much, that's it. But I, I think I know what you're asking. I went to art college. I went. I was in all the art classes growing up, and so I kind of got the hang of the art world in art college in San Francisco, the Academy of Art, from like 1998 until 2001, I think. So that was a long time ago. And I didn't even do comics back then. I was just going to school for 3D animation because I thought that was awesome. And then I realized, oh my god, that's so hard (laughs) and time-consuming and annoying. It's so annoying. But um, yeah, I went to WonderCon in 2004 and was like, look at these booths. They're so big. I want a booth. And then, okay, how do I get a booth? Well, I was a stripper at the time. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll write a story about my stripper friends and an autobiography because my life is crazy. And I'm like 24 at this time, 22 or something really silly. And so that was my thing. I saw Marvel's big booth at WonderCon in San Francisco, and I said, I'm going to do comics. And then 10 years later, I started. So what was your first comic concept that you came up with? I'm going to say it's copyright right now so that nobody does it (laughs) because I haven't done it yet. It actually made a lot of sense. So I had an autobiography that I wanted to write, and I wanted it to be a five-book series. And the stripper world was so fascinating to me because I'm from the suburbs, but I really loved that underground, like, sexy, the way women lure in men and the men willingly go to them and pay money to watch them jiggle in front of them. Like, it's this really beautiful thing that exists in our reality. So when I did that, I started, like, paying attention. For me, it was a big sociology experiment. So I would watch, there was the A-list girls. I would look at them and find out what they were into. And then there were the older girls. I was 22 when I started dancing. And the older girls were in their mid-30s, 32, 35. Oh my goodness, that was 35. We were like, girl, when are you going to stop dancing? I'm saying this as a 36-year-old woman now, so it's really silly. It's a trip, too. I watched girls get into drugs, famous guys coming into the club and how the girls would react to them and interact with them. For instance, I was watching the Metallica documentary for a month straight every single day. I was obsessed. And then the guitar walks in and I walk up to him like hey guy how's it going as if I'd known him but I didn't I just watched him on TV for a month straight and then we became friends and ended up hanging out and it was so weird he didn't like me but I was more like the girl that was friends with all the girls that everybody liked so they would always talk to me about those girls (laughs) so I decided to make a five book series about that. There was a girl that I got into drugs 
because I was a big cokehead. So I wanted a whole book about how I ruined her life and the reality of that and how I have to live with that from now on forever. She got her kid taken away. Her husband left her. She became this wild party animal. And then I looked at the A-list girls and how they were just so amazing and beautiful. And I'm 5'8". I'm like six foot two in stripper heels. And they were like petite and tiny. And this the way they moved was so perfect and blonde and tan. And then when I started looking into their lives, I was like, wow, this is before I was doing cocaine. They're into cocaine. And a lot of them were whoring themselves out and doing things that I never thought I would do. And then I found the recipe of how to make $1,000 a night, $2,000 a night. And so I started getting into that world that they were into. I had a friend, he was my best friend. We were super nerds. We worked at this company together before I started dancing and I knew he had a crush on me and we never really talked about it. But once I became a stripper, he played the part of customer and he basically gave me his entire savings over the course of a year or two. But when he came into the club, it was almost like a movie. It's so weird. It's a beautiful story and I can't wait to tell it. He comes in and and he's the customer and I'm the stripper and I sit on his lap and I give him the affection he's always wanted. And then when we talk on DeviantArt from home, then we're just friends. But then he would come into the club wearing a nice suit and he would come up to the stage and throw $100 down in ones. And then everyone knew that I was his girl. And the dynamic of that and how people interact was so fascinating to me. So I don't have a right. I don't have a uh, name for this yet, but that was my first comic book idea. That's some dark shit. It's super dark, like because <laughs> it's all real. It doesn't get darker than what's in, inside of people's heads. Do you think like autobiographical things are what makes a great story? Yeah, I do. Like my story, I was molested from like eight to seventeen for a really long time. The survivor that allows that to happen for nine years that's a story and then what happens to the woman afterwards like how does she cope with it what does she do it's obviously a recipe for becoming a stripper what's a comedian's name it's like you got to keep a girl off the pole like that's the thing like just do the things to keep the girl off the pole anyways all those stories Every part of my story is fascinating when I look back at it going, what? If any of those things happen to me now that I've gone to therapy and have rationalized all sorts of things, if I was approached with that, I would be like, no. And also, no and fuck you. (laughs) So yes, the answer to your question. I think that those stories are fascinating. There's another book that actually kind of inspired me, allowed me the freedom to talk about my own experiences called girl. I was a stripper in San Francisco, so it was classy. I mean, even the girls that were hooked on drugs still looked like supermodels. That was cool. But this girl's story was like, we're talking $20 blowjobs and doing all these horrible things out of just rickety, gross places and dealing with really skeevy people and underground. And for her to say those things out loud and write them down and do drawings of them was like, that's real. That's totally real. And thank you for doing that because now I feel like that's my story too and I can share that and it's interesting because I thought it was interesting yeah I'm Satine Phoenix there's a depth in the phoenixness <laughs> so now, now we got onto the topic of comics what were you reading before you started to write comics and really write your book my whole life I've been obsessed with Neil Gaiman's books 
just the way he writes, how colorful they are imaginatively. And the way he writes, so his words have images, whether there are images attached or not. So I was obsessed with Death, the High Cost of Living from the Sandman comics that Vertigo put out. I mean, I was 13. I gave myself a tattoo of it. I was obsessed. On a different side of comics, I was also really obsessed with Bloom County. The character Opus the Penguin, Bill the Cat. I've been reading those since I was nine or 10, just obsessed with them. And they're really weird, like Sunday funnies. They're Sunday funnies. They're like comic strips. And I would read them. I was super obsessed with them. And they're weird political comics. So they were talking about Donald Trump back then when like Donald Trump for president, which was really hilarious. And here we are now, right? But these are really neat. The creator is Berkeley Breathed. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but just one of the best comic strips ever made. Engaging, political, social. So I was really obsessed with those. And I don't think that they influenced what I'm making now. I'm actually making... So New Praetorians is a female lead sci-fi story that has a lot of alien artifacts and heavy on the science and no sexuality at all. No relationships. There's relationship, but not sexual relationships. It's all heavy on the character involvement with one another and the drive behind all the characters. So the comics that I read before don't have anything to do with what I'm doing now, except except for the fact that there were people out there who had this vivid imagination and had the boldness to create what was in their heads. And that just inspired me to do the same for myself. And how did you come up with the concept for New Praetorians? So I played a lot of World of Warcraft and eventually met this guy, R.K. Cyrus. And he knew that I was getting out of the industry and that I wanted to be a comic artist and that I just really wanted to focus on being an artist. And he's like, you know what? I always wanted to make comics and you want to make comics. So let's make comics. So we spent a year talking about our favorite TV shows and our favorite stories and our favorite books. And it turns out we had similar interests. Like we love Fringe, we love Doctor Who, we love Heroes. And so it was us like playing. We just kept talking for months and months. And then that turned into this. And then what if this character did this and this character did this? It was actually really natural that way. So after coming up with a couple characters and then almost like playing Dungeons and Dragons or playing the improv game and then it's like, okay, there's this girl and then there's this alien artifact and then and then she's like raised by this guy and then she spends her whole life becoming a military chick and then so that's how we came up with the story, which is... 27 issues, about 60 to 80 pages an issue. And it's all written, by the way. He wrote them all. So R.K. Cyrus is the writer. He wrote all of them. And now I'm just plugging away through them, editing. He writes the script in prose and thoughts. And I edit them into a movie draft and then just issue by issue. And what was the challenges of creating the main character, Sienna McKnight? Trying to not overdevelop her character because she's me, right? Like in my head, like she's the badass that I always wanted to be. Obviously, I modeled her after me, so she looks like me because she is me. It's easy to make a character simple and two dimensional, and it's easy to overdevelop a character and get two dimensional. So, I think the hard part has been trying to ride the line of the right amount of simple and dynamic. Because if you put too much information in, then it confuses people because they're not used to receiving that much information about characters. 
And obviously the comic is not sexual at all. No. How, how do you feel being such a sexual icon, for lack of a better word? Well, thank you. It's weird. It's really strange because when I was doing it, I felt like I had to prove something. Like, I'm not doing porn anymore. Therefore, I have to do something serious. But also that's where I was at the time. So it's like, I'm not a sexual icon anymore. I literally sit in my pajamas all day making art, going cross-eyed. I'm sure there's a fetish for that somewhere. <laughs> But it feels good as a woman who's trying to be taken moderately seriously. Comics are a man's world, for sure. And yeah, there's lots of women making comics now, but it's still a man's world. And it would be easy for me to use my sexuality and say, here's the more sexy things. You know you want to do it. You want to pay for this, which I will eventually. I love drawing sexy things and like alluring Thing. So I make my comic, but people commission um, paintings from me. And usually the paintings are sexy. <laughs> but I really like that this character has that strength and doesn't abuse her sexuality in place of a strong character. And do you feel that the comic world is changing based on the actual characters in the comic book world as well as the demographic of the artists and writers? I think the world's changing. I think people are ready for all kinds of different types of characters. People are understanding that maybe women don't talk this way. <laughs> People aren't writing just for the guy that's going to buy their comic. They're writing to produce a good story. And so the characters that live in that story are true to the story versus the intimate fantasy of the creator. I'll buy that. So with... R.K. Cyrus, you mentioned that you edit some of the scripts. How does he feel about that? And you discuss your edits with him? We understood how we worked together a long time ago. He will give 500% of the story and everything that he puts down. So he writes in prose. So if you can imagine, there's your story and he doesn't say put a panel here, put a panel there. He just kind of goes and goes. And if you can imagine, every panel is two monologues that he's written, which is good because it feeds me as an artist. It puts background behind the character's eyes. And along with that script, he puts his notes. So every monologue has his thoughts on that monologue. And so it's like this insane chaos. But that's how he works. And I would never, ever, ever tell him to give me less than that. And for some reason, I think I'm the only one that can translate his head. Like, I fully understand what he means when he writes these things. And so I am the editor. So the book is 60 to 70 pages and he gives me 120 pages. So I wrangle that down in a movie script. Okay, so these five paragraphs mean that this person should be standing here saying this. And then I go through that one by one. But as I'm absorbing all that information, the back of my brain's like spinning out of control going, okay, and then that person would go here and then this is what's in the foreground and that's what's in the background. It's really intimate and dynamic because he gives me so much information and at first I was like this isn't how it's supposed to be done and then something clicked that told me it's done the way it's supposed to be done because that's how it gets done and now with your book why'd you choose to make it 60 to 80 pages is there any reason why uh because nobody told me that it was a stupid idea <laughs> do you know how hard it is there's a reason why comics are 20 to 25 pages right that's how long they are because it takes so much time comics normally come out once a month I could do 20 pages in a month easy that would be insane but we don't have a publisher I'm some chick who was like I'm gonna make a comic book give me money no nobody's gonna give me any money I haven't 
proved myself as an artist at all. I have not proved myself as a consistent artist at all. For instance, the first book came out a year ago and the second one is getting printed as we speak, getting shipped here from China. So it took me a year because of the car accident that I was in. I couldn't think for two months. I had to relearn how to draw. So I don't blame anyone for not giving me money to produce a comic. I get it. I had this big idea that I would have it three times a year, it would come out three times a year. I'm a Netflix binger. I like to read things in full. I don't buy comics unless they're in the trade format because I can't just do 20 pages. I want more. I want all the story. So I thought that would be a good idea. And then the first book took me a month and a half to do 66 pages. The second book, however, because I had to relearn how to draw, took four or five months. <laughs> I did it because I really like collections. And now I can't go back because I've already come too far. And now to transition away from your work on this comic, you were also featured in an art exhibition, Temple of Art. How did you become part of this? Los Angeles has an amazing art community. Every single night you can go to a drawing event and it's just a bunch of artists who get together and they pay a model to sit for them while they draw. Two hours, every single night, three different places a night. The art community is amazing and huge. And every time you go to one of these things, you end up talking to other artists and you realize how fascinating they are and how fun they are. And sometimes you click with some, sometimes you don't click with any. Everybody ends up learning from each other. So for many years, we all kind of met up and worked together or recommend people to each other talking to each other. And my friend Alan Amato, who's a photographer, he's the director of Temple of Art. He was like, I have all these amazing art friends. I'm a photographer. Wouldn't it be great if they drew on my photo of them? And then that cascaded into him communicating with 56 different artists from all around the world. He like flew out to shoot them and then he would do interviews with them. So it turned from this art project into a book, a gallery, and now video documentary. So you can go to templeofart.org, I believe, or templeofart.net, I can't remember. But you can see a trailer of that and we have books for sale. Each page has a description of the art and a description of the artist and the image before art was put on it and then the image after the artist got to it. It's really cool. And it's a really strange project because artists, they'll use themselves as reference for their pieces, especially comics. You see what the artist looks like and then look at what they're drawing and you're like, oh my God, that actually looks just like the artist. But other than that, if it's not blatantly obvious, you would never know. But when we have to draw on ourselves or draw ourselves for other people to see, it's a trip. It freaked me out. I had to like black out my eyes. Couldn't draw on something where I was looking at me. Like I could draw other people all day long. I do. But this was really strange. The Temple of Art Project is this beautiful, epic story about artists from all walks of life, from new artists to legends who've been in the industry for 30, 40, 50 years. It's really fascinating. I highly recommend picking up at least the coffee table book, if not the movie. And what was it like for you to be surrounded in this exhibition with many great artists and legends who've been in the industry for a long time? It was really strange because Alan Amato is one of my best friends in the whole world. And I met him through David Mack, who is my mentor. And I just think he's the bee's knees. Well, the producer on it, one of them is Olga Nunez. And we all play well together. It's really fun and easy for us to interact. And then I would be around other artists who were just as 
amazing as them and I would freeze up and I'd try not to stutter and I'm just like, oh my God, oh my God, hold it together, Satine, hold it together. And it would go like that. It would be easy and complicated and easy. And then I'd feel my fangirl well up and I'm like, oh God. And then I'd calm down. Don't tell them that though. It's a trip because what I found out by being a part of this is all these artists look up to each other. So you've got Jason Sean Alexander, who's actually a fine artist also, as well as a comic artist. He looks up to Bill Sienkiewicz, like watches him paint. And you see, but when we're all hanging out at dinner, it's just like super casual. But then we take out our pens and everybody's looking at each other's pages. It's awesome. Everybody's inspired from each other. So that helps me relax a little bit and not get too overwhelmed with the amazingness. I got to meet Baron Story. Like, oh my God. It's also amazing it feels like a dream like i stumbled in on my perfect dream world and i just have to keep holding on to it and now you're a huge tabletop gamer yeah how'd you come into this world i've been gaming since i was 15 but before that i found the red box the dungeons and dragons red box when i was like 10 13 or something and i would make my own characters it's all playing right so it just made sense like oh this is another way to play that's great and then i was in drama club and some of my best friends friends were playing Dungeons and Dragons. I was like, what? Oh my God, I've always wanted to play that. I'm in, I'm playing with you. Like they didn't have a choice. I was playing and I wanted to play this character and they had to let me play. And it was like that for years. And I stopped playing when I was a stripper because people thought it was stupid. And only a few years went by before I was like, no, you guys are stupid. You're wasting your time on cocaine. That's so dumb. I'm gonna go play Dungeons and Dragons, stupids. And I started playing again in Australia. I was trying to make friends. I moved out there with a boyfriend and we're like well let's go meet people who like puzzles like we do and we found a group of adults on meetup.com so i've been playing for 21 years yeah i'm obsessed with it i can't stop playing obviously i'm so obsessed tsr has a podcast called game school that they needed a co-host for their show and i was like i want to be the co-host just let me play the games so basically we interview tabletop game developers and have them explain how to play their games and at the end of the show they run me through an encounter and that's what I do every Sunday I play different games with the game developers it's amazing I'm so spoiled and I love it And what do you play as in uh, Dungeons and Dragons? Well, when I was little, up until I was 27, 26, I played the same character, and it was a dual class thief mage, because I always wanted her to be kind of assassin-y. She was sexy and an assassin, but I also liked magic, so she had to be able to throw a magic missile. Every once in a while, I would play a lycanthrop, because I really like cats, and I love that movie cat people and my dungeon master would not ever kill me off and he let me play whatever I wanted because I was a bully. I totally bullied them. I get my serious face on and I'm just like I turned into everyone's big sister. I'm just like no I'm playing this. Like once one of our characters got beheaded and I was like you are carrying me around. You're gonna get my body back and you're gonna bring me back to life damn it. I take that game very seriously. And I hit it with my axe. Uh, my character died. It's a web series that I did with my friends. And my character died. And I got in a fight with my friends because they were favoring the guest who was on. And they didn't rescue me. And then I ended up crying. <laughs> I was 28 at the time. I was so mad. I loved that character. And now you love tabletopping and you love Dungeons and Dragons that you created a charity event around it. How'd you go about doing all that? Well, I grew up in the Masonic fraternity in a thing called Rainbow Girls. 
And so from 11 to 18, all I did was charity work, volunteer, raise money by doing car washes and bake sales. I was kind of a goody two shoes and a weird fetishy girl at the same time. It was really strange. And like in my 20s, I didn't do any of that. And I felt like there was an emptiness in my heart. And I was like, there's something missing out of my life. And when I realized it was charity, it was the act of giving to a cause with no requirement of return. I was like, okay, how can I do this? Well, I love Dungeons and Dragons and I have a lot of friends in Los Angeles who have a lot of fans. So why not bring everybody together? Because it's really hard to be social out here. There's just so many people and everything. So I was like, I'll get them all in one room and we'll all play one day a year and it'll be great. And then I did that. So that was like 2010, I think. And it turns out that a lot more of my friends play Dungeons and Dragons than I thought. Like the whole entertainment industry. I mean, think about it. Actors, it's all playing. It's Dungeons and Dragons is just being verbal with your imagination. And since 2010, it's been growing every year. Why do you think people are so attracted to it? And the fans are so attracted to it? There's a couple things. People want to support the celebrities that they respect. And if they're raising money for something, it just feels good to also give back. So by doing celebrity charity 20 is what it's called by doing this everybody gets to give and it just makes everyone feel good so charity makes people feel good and that's why they support it also growing up as a DD nerd most people were ridiculed about it women weren't allowed to play with their boyfriends or their brothers wouldn't let them play and now everyone's grown up and it's not weird and people are becoming more honest about what they're into and so it's like you know what i'm not shy about this anymore i see people People playing these games and I want to be a part of that community and people in this community are raising money and I just want to be a part of all of it. And so that's what I think people are thinking nowadays in the D&D community. And now you also have a good relationship with Meltdown Comics. How did this relationship form? kind of randomly like every other thing that's happened in my life. Like I was doing a thing and then I get a message from people and then things happen and then boom I live there. I'm fairly certain the owner of Meltdown Gaston heard about me doing I hit it with my axe and knew that I was very social and active in what I do in all the communities that I'm in and he's like you want to do something here at Meltdown and I was like as a matter of fact I do. <laughs> so actually it took about a year or two for, of him saying you want to do something at Meltdown and I was like I don't know maybe, maybe. but then I realized yeah I want to start D&D Melt. I want to start a community of people playing Dungeons and Dragons at Meltdown because there's so many people in the entertainment industry who used to play Dungeons and Dragons but then grew up and weren't allowed to play anymore that really want to play. So I was like, okay. And the first group came in and it was, you know, five people every Sunday. And then it was 10 people every Sunday. And then it was 20 people every Sunday. And now it's grown into this beautiful, big group. I'm not running it anymore. I gave it to my friend Vincent, who had been there from day one. And it was like this really cool thing where you can go to Meltdown on Sundays and meet your new best friends. And that's what it's become. I've watched all these little groups of men and women totally bond hardcore together over games. It just makes me feel good. I feel like a matchmaker, like a little friend Cupid. And also with Meltdown, you're now currently doing Draw Melt. It's called Draw Melt 2.0. So I was in a really strange relationship with my ex-husband at the time. So I had all this time on my hands 
and he didn't talk to me very much. So I was like, I need friends that'll talk to me. So I was like, what can I do at Meltdown? Because I love Meltdown. Now they're like family to me. I just really love them. But they're like, what else do you want to do? I was going to a lot of drawing classes. I was like, well, why don't I throw one and then everyone will come to me and we can all hang out. So I threw Draw Melt and it was cool. It was casual. It was on the side of the store in this other room and it was a model and me and maybe four or five other people and I'd throw on some trip hop and we would draw and it was really nice. We talked and it wasn't this like weird stuffy like art class. That happens a lot. Nobody talks. Everybody's just drawing. But this was like I brought snacks every week and the models were wearing cosplay costumes. So they weren't all life drawing models. There were people from the community who wanted to show off their costumes or there were actors they wanted to make 50 bucks and they had a free night and they wanted to participate so I'm like all right come on in and model for us it was really cool I stopped doing that when I got serious about my comic because I work 16 hours a day on this comic it's nuts I'm not exaggerating I'm a crazy person now because of it <laughs> but I didn't go to meltdown for two years so I gave away D&D melt I stopped doing draw melt and I just finished issue two so I'm like look I'm back I have to be back or I'm going to lose my mind. What can we do? How can we do this? They just started Shop XSN out of Meltdown. It's like a nerd QVC show. It's on every day. There's nerd people from the community come on and sell their stuff. It's actually really cool. And they let me run Draw Melt out of there. I turned it into this like actor studio style interview where I get an artist and we sit down and we do Q&A and then we draw the life drawing model who's in different costumes still because I like that. But we live stream it so that people can watch it and they can draw along with us. Either people that can't make it out to Meltdown or they just want to relax and enjoy the Q&A and do some drawing. I do miss the group setting, but it got really complicated. You know, having to pay the model like 50 to 80 bucks and then only a couple people showing up and then I have to like throw out another 50 bucks out of my pocket because nobody showed. So this is nice. It's relaxing. I don't get paid for it. This is all my hobby. I love doing it. I don't get paid for the celebrity charity event. I don't get paid for the D&D. I just do all this because I love it. I do have a Patreon page because it would be nice for someone to buy me a drink every once in a while. <laughs> but it's not a requirement. And I'm doing all these things because my soul has to. And now you've done some modeling in the cosplay world as well as some fetish modeling. What are the differences between the two? The differences are how people look at them. They're both porn or they're both not porn. They're just people in costumes. <laughs> so you've got like these girls who make a living being cosplayers. And that's great. They're models. They're gorgeous. They work really hard on their costumes. People have worked really hard on the latex costumes that I would wear in my fetish shoots. Those outfits are like $1,000 each. They're amazing. And I loved wearing them. But fetish is just not as popular because there's that sexuality already put into it by when people look at it. I didn't do a lot of cosplay. I only did a little bit of cosplay because A, I can't afford it. I'm an artist now. It's expensive. I mean, all the fabric. Look at those costumes. Next time you see girls posting, it takes time you and have energy. no idea. I do. I actually had my girlfriend make me something because I can't spend the time away from work to do it. It's an amazing hobby for a lot of people. And with this modeling experience, did you have a favorite piece that you wore or a favorite fashion style that you experienced? I love latex. I love feeling like a superhero. There's one image on satinephoenix.net backslash action heroines journey, which is a nonfiction book that RK and I are writing right now. Main image is me from like 10 years ago, but I'm in 
this cool black rubber outfit and I've got this comic book black hair and the rubber outfit there's a corset like a leather corset and then there's a blue stripe that goes all the way down the middle and it just looks straight superhero and it's in the middle of the streets of San Francisco and I'm like that is so rad so any of the cat suits and when I wore them yeah I had to pose sexy for them but inside I was a superhero like that was it so yes, sateen is half nerd, half sex pot. And it gets mixed up in there, but superheroes are sexy. They are. They've been sexy for decades, but they're palatable because they're doing something supposedly good for the community, right? That's what a superhero is. If you take a superhero, put her on a spanking bench, she's a dominatrix. If you put the superhero on the mountaintop, she's a superhero or a building top. You take a dominatrix, put her on the building top, and she's a superhero. And now you've had major success in, from comic books to illustrating to the charity event you created, as well as just all around tabletopping and modeling. What advice do you have for people who want to get into any of that? My advice to people is don't give a frack. Just do it. Do it because you have to do it. If amazing, successful things come out of it, then awesome. But don't worry about that. Just do it. Do the thing. Seriously, otherwise, if you overthink it, then you're not going to do it. And then you're going to get to be like 50 years old and you're going to regret it. And that's like my big thing is I don't want to regret anything. I don't want to regret not doing anything. So I do all the things. And then finally, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Facebook, Twitter, merchandise, website? somebody buying you a drink events that you're going to be at so i'll be at comic-con and at comic-con uh, in san diego i will have book one book two and the action heroine's journey which is a non-fiction book based off of joseph campbell's uh, hero with a thousand faces the idea of the hero's journey but this is the action heroine's journey and what it takes to make uh, action heroine based on the book called The Heroine's Journey. The Action Heroine's Journey, but these books were written in the 90s and 80s. I feel like there's so much has happened since the 90s <laughs> in our culture and as an action heroine myself. So we have a lot to say in that. And it's for writers. It's for people that like to tell stories. So if you are a writer or a gamer who just wants to make your character a little beefier or more interesting, I'll have that book there. At Meltdown, I'm doing Draw Melt every Tuesday from 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I'm actually in a couple hours after this conversation with you and I, I'll be doing a series of stuff at Meltdown called Drawing with Sateen, which is me basically just doing work at Meltdown and like drawing. So people can just watch me draw. And my little brother has given me all this music. He's a music producer. His name's AJ Sorbello. And his group is called Groove One. And so it's me drawing and then his music playing. And it's just this chill Twitch stream that's like, me drawing so people can watch that game schools and other podcast that i do with chad parish and that's out you can get that on itunes or gameschool.tsrpn.com i do a lot of things and i'm telling you <laughs> unfortunately because of the accident last year i didn't do the charity event last year or this year so i think that's gonna wait till the next year i just did a book a children's book that should be out fairly soon it's called the pretend adventures of philippe chivandre and it was written by this 96 year old astrophysicist he is amazing i mean he helped develop stealth light his name is edward lovick jr and so i illustrated a children's book teaches kids about astrophysics yeah i mean that's all i can think of off the top of my head there's a lot going on busy lady so if you go to patreon.com slash sateen phoenix you could buy me dinner, buy me a drink. I do a lot of things. It's just nice to kick back and have a drink in between all the things. 
So y'all can buy me drinks or dinners. Facebook and Twitter. You can find me on all the social medias at Satine Phoenix. All one word. S-A-T-I-N-E-P-H-O-E-N-I-X. On all of them. You want to buy my book? You can buy my book on newpraetorians.com or on Amazon. So thank you for giving this podcast a listen. I know this podcast dealt with a lot of adult material, a lot of adult topics, and I appreciate you staying with me throughout this entire discussion. I hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it. And as always, you can follow us and subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, as well as a variety of other places where you listen to your podcasts. And you should go out and buy Santine Phoenix's book because it is a wonderful book. I love the book, and I think that it's one of the best things that's been written in a very long time in the comic world. And as always, you you can follow us on Twitter at Pop Anime Comics, as well as on our website, popanimecomics.com, for articles relating to comics, anime, wrestling, pop culture. And I hope to see you as a subscriber on this podcast, as well as following us on our website and on our Twitter. Till next time, everybody, have a wonderful week.